Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Good morning. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. We're going to be talking about the Appropriations Act of 2021, which is stimulus number two, I was calling it, um, and some things in there. I don't know. I was When I was going through it yesterday in, uh, in detail, and by the way, I did not read all 5,400 and some odd pages, but we rely on uh, some <coughs> uh, research firms that we, that we uh, pay to have access to, and and they were helping us digest uh, all the thousands of pages in the second stimulus. And as I was going through it, like, I, you know, it's not quite as exciting as the first one. That was my take on it, and I guess perhaps we shouldn't have expected that, but there's some good stuff in there, and... I, I think I wanted to start this morning by what's not in there. Certainly some things related to our business um, are not in there and people should know that. And then we'll go forward and talk about some of the things that are in there. Sound good? And I'm using my new AirPods and it is there the, because of the noise canceling feature, it is kind of weird to not really hear yourself talking. So if I'm talking extra loud, it's because I'm using my new AirPods and they're just because so- Because they're, they're too good. They're too, they're too good. Yes. It's hard to hear. It's hard to talk and not really hear yourself. Okay. So 
again, we're talking about the Appropriations Act of 2021. It's the second stimulus package. Um, I think it's interesting to go to quickly touch on things that are not in there that perhaps people were hoping for. Um, one of them, uh, very relevant to our business and for our clients, is that there that RMDs required minimum distributions will be required in 2021. The CARES Act, as many people know, which was the first stimulus package passed back in March, the CARES Act waived required distributions for calendar year 2020. And some people were speculating that that might happen again for 2021. However, it is not a part of this stimulus package. It's not a part of the Appropriations Act. Um, so required minimum distributions will be, as of now, unless there's another stimulus in the near future, required minimum distributions will be required in 2021 for IRA account owners and for beneficiaries that have inherited IRAs. I don't, I don't, um, know, what, I don't know what your thoughts are on that, but you know, based on what happened last year, I mean, I know that that, you know, the first package didn't come out until March. And so, you know, some people had already taken their distributions and then they were able to, you know, put them back in and they kind of had to scramble to do that. And, you know, I guess my thought for this year is, I mean, initially it doesn't say anything, you know, it, it sounds like, you know, RMDs will be, you know, required as usual, but, you know, I would, you know, my, my thought for people that, you know, don't, don't need the money, um, you know, maybe they should push it off and t towards the end of the year and, and kind of see what happens uh, just in case, you know, just in case they do change their minds and, and say that you don't have to take them. Uh, you know, that way you don't have to worry about trying to put it back and, and scramble and all that. Uh, I think that would be my, my thought on that. Oh, yeah. I mean, fair enough there. Um, it certainly doesn't hurt to wait, you know, three, six, nine months or something. And I mean, because of course people that do need to satisfy a required minimum distribution, they have until December 31st, don't cut it too close, but they technically they have until December 31st of 2021 to satisfy that. So for people that don't need the money right away, sure, push it off and, and see what happens. Maybe there'll be another, maybe there'll be stimulus number three that we're talking about at some point. I mean, we do have a new president coming in and several new congressmen and women. Um, so certainly, so, yeah, certainly not out of the realm of reality that something could happen. But as of now, required minimum distributions um, have not been waived again for 2021. That was not part of the Appropriations Act. So, you know, for people that, however, there are some people that take their required distributions you know, monthly because they need it or they want it. And, and for those people probably, you know, fine to proceed. And you can always stop at mid-year if you're taking it monthly. And if it is, it does end up being waived. But yeah, it's certainly up to each person to determine how they want to proceed in that regard, cross their fingers. If they don't want, you know, need the money and don't want to pay additional taxes, cross your fingers and see if another stimulus is passed or people can certainly just proceed and take them. And maybe, maybe we'll never have another stimulus that right. includes that. So yeah, but as of now, requirement and distributions are required in 2021, again, reinstated as in 2020, they were uh, waived as part of the CARES Act. So another item that is not in the Appropriations Act, sort of, is um, coronavirus related qualified distributions. So as part of the CARES Act, the first stimulus, people that were under the age of 59 and a half and would normally pay a 10% federal tax penalty to access funds in their retirement accounts 
were, if they could prove were somehow directly affected by the coronavirus, either they were diagnosed with it themselves or, or immediate family member or dependent or, uh, or they lost their job as a result or they didn't have childcare and couldn't work as a result, someone directly affected by COVID-19 in 2020 could access funds up to $100,000 in their retirement accounts without paying that federal tax penalty. They did have to owe they did have to pay regular income taxes, federal and state, but there was no penalty for accessing retirement accounts early like there normally is. So the, that was called a coronavirus-related qualified distribution. The, that was part of the first stimulus, which is not part of the second stimulus. There's something a little bit different that we'll talk about, um, but those coronavirus-related distributions where you could avoid that 10% penalty and you could take three years to roll that money back into your account to completely avoid taxes. You could take three years to do that. That is not part of the second stimulus that has not been extended to 2021. So 2020 was the one and only year to take a withdrawal fairly tax efficiently if you were under the age of 59 and a half from retirement if you were directly affected by the coronavirus. Um, so we'll talk in a little bit. There's something similar in the Appropriations Act, and what are they calling it? It's it's related to a federally declared disaster, like if you're in a, a federally declared disaster area for a flood or a hurricane, for example, that is part of the Appropriations Act, but not coronavirus related. So that has not been extended through 2021. And the third item that I wanted to hit on that is not in the Appropriations Act is um, student loan forbearance. So I believe, Kirk, you did some reading on this too, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe as part of the CARES Act, student loan forbearance was uh, extended, I think, through January 31st. I think that's when student loans will have to uh, begin to start being repaid. And the Appropriations Act did not extend that deadline. So I believe January 31st is the date upon which people with student debt that are that are currently not paying those as a result of them being in forbearance as, as a result of the CARES Act, um, they're gonna have to start repaying those student loans effective, I believe, February 1st. Did you read something different or is that? Yeah, I believe um, that's, I believe that's correct. Um, Although, you know, some of the, I, I saw one other article talking about, um, you know, whether or not that's something that, again, might be changed um, as as time goes on here, especially if with, that's something that I guess, um, you know, Biden might want to change uh, once he gets in there, but um, obviously to be determined. Yeah. And they, he's not going to have a lot of time to, to do anything. Not that he couldn't you know, change it after people start paying again. But right. yeah, but it looks like student loans that are in forbearance currently, um, people are going to have to start repaying those February 1st as they will, uh, the forbearance deadline has not been expended, extended, excuse me, past the end of January. Yeah. Um, so anything that you could think of that that is was not in there that was part of the first one that you were kind of hoping or thinking would be in there. I couldn't think of anything else besides those three. I mean, the, I think, I mean, I think the biggest thing that really kind of affects, you know, our business was, was those required distributions. Um, yeah. and so that, I mean, yeah, there was, there were other items in there, but probably the biggest one that affected us just because of our business, um, was the RMDs. I mean, certainly the student loans yeah. affect some of our, you know, some of our clients, but, um, yeah, I think, I mean, a lot, some of the stuff, yeah. Um, well, I mean, some of the other things are like the, you know, those, uh, 
payroll protection plan uh, loans. I mean, certainly we do have some small uh, small business owners uh, that that we have as clients. Um, and I know we got a couple of questions about those in early 2020. Uh, some of our clients were, you know, perhaps interested in pursuing that or or wanted to learn more about that um, if they had. Uh, a couple employees, um, and they were trying to figure out, you know, what their business was going to look like based on this. Um, and so I know there are some, there, there is another version of the the payroll protection plan as part of this new new plan. And I think it's you know it's going to be it's going to be a little bit different. I think it was a little more uh, stringent um, as far as uh, the application process, but it is still going to be fairly widely available uh, for, for people that want to try to try to pursue it. I don't know how much how much into the details you want to get. We're going to have plenty of time this morning to get into all the details about the second Paycheck Protection Program. Okay, so we can get into the details um, later. Let's yeah. get into that a little bit later because we only have like 10 minutes before the break. So I was just trying to pick off one of the sections that we could cover in 10 minutes. So m- maybe the recovery rebates. I mean, certainly people very interested in those. The Appropriations Act does include another round of recovery rebates. What I did not go and look for is when they think those are going to start being paid out. Um, I would assume here in the coming weeks they would start, but there are additional rebate checks coming to very many Americans. It's a little bit different from the CARES Act. The CARES Act was $1,200 per taxpayer with an additional $500 for for each dependent child. There are phase-out ranges. There were phase-out ranges as part of the first stimulus check, and they're the same phase-out ranges for the second round of stimulus check. The amount is a little bit lower, however. So every every person, um, taxpayer and dependent child is, is, um, will receive $600. And again, subject to a phase out range, which we'll go through in a moment, but everyone's the, the calculation starts at every one taxpayer plus dependent child under the age of 17 will receive the calculation, excuse me, will start off as them receiving $600. So single person, six hundred bucks, single person, one child, twelve hundred bucks, married couple, twelve hundred bucks, married couple, three children. Uh, what is that? Three thousand dollars. So that's where the calculations will start. So it's a it's a little bit simpler this time around and then it's just six hundred dollars per person. But again, subject to phase out. So some people will not, higher income earners will not receive this just like last time around. Um, And then there's a phase out range and the phase out ranges are the same as they were last time. So a single person, the phase out range, I'm sorry, the range is different for everyone actually, but the phase out starts for a single taxpayer at $75,000. And so if your uh, adjusted that's, gross income- Yeah, that's AG, yeah, adjusted gross income, right? AGI, right? Yeah, not taxable income. So if your adjusted gross income or AGI as a single taxpayer, is more than $75,000, and we'll talk about the tax year in a minute, this is actually going to be for 2020. If it's more than $75,000, you start to receive $5, you start to, excuse me, your rebate 
starts to be reduced $5 for every $100 over the $75,000 threshold for a single tax filer. So the the range where your benefit is, your rebate check could be completely phased out is different for everyone. So someone who has you know, if they're over that $75,000 threshold by $1,000, for example, they're going to lose $50 of their rebate check. If you're $10,000 over that $75,000 threshold, so your AGI is $85,000, you're going to lose $500 of whatever rebate check you were initially due based on how many people in your household. So the range is like different for everyone based on when based on how much you were initially supposed to be due but for every for every 100 bucks over that threshold you you lose $5 of that rebate um, and it's a little bit different for married couples. So married filing jointly, you start to lose benefit if your adjusted gross income is more than $150,000. So again, same, you lose five bucks for every hundred bucks over 150,000 if you are married filing a joint return. So again, the phase out range is different because it's it depends on what you were initially due. Someone with a lot of children, for example, someone with, you know, five, you know married, and five kids, then your benefit would originally would initially be calculated at what is that forty two hundred dollars? Your rebate check, excuse me. You can have a, a long phase out range there because you're losing fifty bucks for every thousand or five hundred bucks for every ten thousand over. So someone with a lot of kids would have they could have relatively high income over that threshold before they completely lose dollars in that rebate check. So did I explain that okay, I think? Uh, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, I know, I know, yeah, that the whole phase out thing is a little complicated, but, um, but yeah, being, but yeah, that's, that's certainly the way, uh, the, certainly the way that it's, that it's described. I think, yeah. um, you know, I think, I know in that, yeah, we were talking about Michael, uh, I don't know if you referenced Michael Kitsies yet or not. Um, uh, no, not yet. But I know that's, you know, that was kind of our, or one of our sources that we were, that we were using to kind of break this down uh, because, you know, he and his team have, you know, kind of <laughs> poured over those 5,500 pages of, uh, yeah. of, of document um, to try to, you know, pull out some of the, some of the, the high points, um, particularly, yep, this is, you know, this being, you know, one of the ones that a lot of people are interested in because it's, you know, potentially, you know, money coming to them. And so I know I was just looking at, you know, reading through it and they have a couple of examples, which I mean, you, you've, oh, yeah, you, that's good. you just, I mean, you just kind of described it, but, uh, just to kind of reiterate because it is a little, uh, a little complicated. So, Let's see. So in this one here, let's see. Let's see. They had a couple of examples. So this first person is a a single taxpayer and the parent of a 10-year-old child. So you have to be if you have a child under 17, that would qualify as a, you know, as a as a person, you know, an individual in your house that is, you know, eligible for one of these checks. And so for this person, so he's a single taxpayer and has a 10-year-old child that qualifies. So his base, you know, they're using the term base, uh, you know, for, for what you're eligible for would be basically the $600 times two, uh, so $1,200. And so then if you want to look at how that well, works from a tax point of view, from a the phase out point of view. Okay, so they're going to say in his example that so twelve hundred dollars is his base, but he has an, an AGI, adjusted gross income of eighty thousand dollars, where 
in his case, as a single tax filer, the threshold is $75,000. So if you make over $75,000, then you have to start looking at the phase out. So in his case, he's $5,000, you know, over over the threshold. And so $5,000, and we talked about what is it? So it's every every $100 over the threshold, you basically get a $5 you know, reduction from your check. And so in this case, it's going to be- uh, what 250 is, yeah, bucks, I think, uh, yeah. 5%, yeah. That's right, so yeah, so basically $250 uh, is gonna be the reduction of his check based on the fact that he's $5,000 over uh, the AGI threshold. So so his $1,200, you know, minus 250 becomes 950. Okay. And so that's kind of a, you know, that's, that's how the phase out uh, works. Yeah, so someone with like a higher benefit, so someone with multiple kids and a higher benefit, they might have a phase out range of like 50 or 60, thousand dollars above that threshold because right. their their benefit was originally or their base excuse me was originally calculated so high but someone with no kids like a single filer or just a joint filer they're going to have a shorter or a tighter phase out range because their benefit is starting lower to begin with so it's just um, a little bit of a funky calculation but uh, the, you know the good news for many Americans is that um, if you're not above that threshold you'll be receiving six hundred dollars uh, per tax uh, excuse me, per person in your household. Kids have to be under the age of 17. And so technically speaking, so this is a, it's a 2020 tax credit paid out in cash. Um, so it's, it's at the end of the day, it's going to be based on your 2020 income. But in order, this is very similar to what happened earlier this year with the CARES Act. So that the, the those first stimulus checks were also 20 based on 2020 income, but no one had filed a 2020 tax return when the real very few people had filed a 2020 tax return when the CARES Act was passed. Um, so they were looking at 2018 or 2019. Um, taxes in order to determine, but but at the end of the day, everything is going to be sort of trued up when 2020 taxes are filed in terms of who is due um, these stimulus checks. So I, I we got to take a break here in a second, but I will um, explain that after the break because there might be some people that initially don't receive the stimulus check, but they will receive it after they file their 2020 taxes. So I kind of wanted to touch on that, but let's take. A- a little bit of a break here in a minute. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed. You're listening to McNamara on Money. We, I'm, talk, I'm joined this morning by Kirk Reed, my husband and business partner. We're talking about stimulus package number two, which was the which is the Appropriations Act of 2021. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that when we come right back. We'll be right back. And we are back. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, joined this morning by my husband and business partner, Kirk Reed. Good morning. Morning. Um, happy, new, happy New Year, everyone. And we are talking this morning about the second stimulus package that was passed just before the holidays. And actually, I hadn't even really had much time to um, read through it and learn about it just uh, up until the last couple of days, just because the holidays are just busy and how lovely to have something to distract everyone from the rest of the happenings in the world, right? I think that the holidays were lovely this year and of course quieter than normal, but I actually think that there was really nothing wrong with that. So, and I hope everyone can see the silver linings. I guess I keep talking about that related to COVID, but I think it's a little bit of a blessing to slow down 
for once in life, right? All right, so uh, just before the break, uh, part of the stimulus package called the Appropriations Act, the part that we were talking about just before the break is um, the second round of recovery rebate checks that should be coming uh, soon. I actually haven't read anything about when they plan to start those, but I know that they they pumped them out pretty quickly last time around, and I'm imagining that that's going to be the case again. So $600 per person, uh, uh, including children uh, under the age of 17, that is your base amount. Then there are phase out ranges, same phase out ranges, same phase out starting points as the first round of checks. In other words, single filers, if your uh, adjusted gross income is over $75,000, you start to lose five bucks for every $100 your income is over. And for marrieds, uh, you start to lose some of that check five bucks for every hundred dollars over a hundred and fifty thousand dollars so certainly not everyone will be receiving these but uh the vast majority of americans i believe i forget the statistics but i want to say something like 90 percent or more than 90 percent of americans received them the first time around do you remember hearing about that I, it was a very high percentage i don't know yeah i mean i, I eight, a, a, a greater than 80 percent or something there's there's there a lot i was gonna say it's a good a good person yeah it's certainly a more than half yeah uh, yeah, I don't remember the exact um, number. Yeah. So anyway, um, just so just one last thing on this is that logistically, this is a 2020 what they call a refundable tax credit, meaning they're they're paying it out in cash. Um, it's a credit on your 2020 income, so it's based on your 2020 income at the end of the day. But in order for them to get those checks out quickly to people, they are using your 2019 tax return that theoretically everyone has already filed. Certainly a few stragglers, I'm sure, but theoretically everyone has filed a 2019 tax return. So the, the government is going to be looking at your adjusted gross income for 2019 to determine if you are initially due a rebate check. So if your income was under those phase out uh, the starting point, those thresholds for 2019, then you will receive those checks in the mail. So if your income was under 75,000 based on your 2019 return and you're a single taxpayer, or I guess even if you were married, you will be receiving those checks no matter what your income ends up being in 2020. So actually this is gonna work out well for the probably very few people or small percentage of people whose income was higher in 20 than it was in 19. Of course, this is going to be the minority of people um, really that they're Many people, many people will have their income go down in 20 versus 19, unfortunately. But so if there was someone who had low income, lower income in 2019 and qualifies for that rebate check, even if their income is above that threshold in 2020 when they go to file, they're still going to receive that rebate check. So Alyssa, sort of the, the lucky few people. Alyssa, uh, to interrupt you, but we have a caller. Uh, we have oh, okay. We have Bob from Brockton. Hello, Bob. Can you hear us? Hi, good morning. Yes, enjoying the show. Um, so as it affects the stimulus payment, um, you've used a couple of different phrases there, and I guess I should know the definitions of them, but I don't. What is the difference between adjusted gross income and taxable income? That okay. is a good question. So <laughs> I guess I guess you, not. you made the clarification between the two, and we all are subject to that every year when we pay our taxes, but I, I don't know what the difference is. Sure. So, I mean, I don't mean I, to I, put you on the spot, but yeah. I guess I did. No, that's okay. No, I mean, that, I mean, that, we, we don't. That one we, is super complicated. We, norm, yeah. we normally make lots. 
lots of uh, disclosures at the beginning of the show, Bob, saying, you know, we are not accountants. <laughs> but um, basically, yeah, I mean, Alyssa, I think Alyssa's looking it so, up. But. Yeah, so if, if you pull up a form, an, a form 1040, which is like the first page of your federal tax return, form 1040 shows on line 11, so toward the bottom, it will show your adjusted gross income. In order to calculate taxable income from adjusted gross, you subtract a standard deduction or your itemized deductions. So your taxable income is lower than your adjusted gross income because your taxable income is after either your standard deduction, which most people take now, or your itemized deductions. And it's actually your taxable income is actually like after I think there's what, what else is on this form qualified business deduction. So your adjusted gross income is essentially your gross income. Let me just see what if anything is subtracted from there. Adjusted gross income. It includes your your gross income from salary. It includes taxable dividends. It includes capital gains, uh, realized capital gains. It's basically your gross income. You can except I think there's like an, a couple above the line adjustments. Like there's actually a charitable adjustment that's called above the line. And so that so your adjusted gross income is almost going to be the same as your gross income, where your taxable income for many people is quite substantially lower because that's after your, your, your deductions. deductions yeah. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that that makes it clearer. And so now, now that I understand it, and thank you for the explanation. So, which one comes into play? I was just thinking of my my youngest son is single and he's got two or three kids. So, so which one comes into play when you calculate your? Is it is it, is it the taxable income that you no. that no. uses? No. It's no. The, it's this adjustable gross income that we're talking about. Oh, okay. All right. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I appreciate that. That was very helpful. You're, you're welcome, Bob. Have a great day. Thank you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. The one, yeah, the one other thing, Alyssa, the, the one other maybe big one there uh, that goes into AGI is like retirement contributions. Those you can deduct out of gross income. Oh, out of, that's out right. Of, out of that's right. Income. Oh, thank you for that. That's right. You're right. AGI is after like 401k contributions, right? right? Right. Yeah. I'm sorry. Thank you for that clarification. That's right. Yeah. So there's a couple, yeah, yeah a couple things that you can take out before. Yeah. But it's not, it does yeah. not include the, the standard deduction or yeah, right. as you said. Yeah. Right. I just got a message from um, a listener who uh, works at a bank and actually she was just messaging. Thank you. You know who you are saying that at her bank, these rebate uh, checks are going to be start, start to be deposited for people uh, starting on Monday. Okay. So these are going to, at least the first wave are coming out very, very quickly. So thank you for that text message. Uh, you know who you are. And I appreciate that. This group, this is a group effort here today. So thank you. So very quickly. Uh, rebate checks should start coming. So um, I just wanted to go through one, like one other point regarding the tax year. So income versus t income, adjusted gross income in 2020 versus adjusted gro gross income in 2019. So this, the, there are going to be some people who don't receive this rebate check initially because in 2019 their income was too high. So they their income was over those thresholds and they didn't receive their rebate check. But for those people who based on their 2020 income would be due a rebate check, 
they will end up receiving it after they file their 2020 taxes. So that's what I meant when I said it's like trued up or it's reconciled after you file your 2020 taxes. So again, think about the majority of Americans right now, a lot of people's income in 2020 will be lower than it was in 2019. So if in 2020, your adjusted gross income will qualify you for the rebate or at least a portion of the rebate, even if you don't receive it, because in 2019, your income looked too high or was too high, you will still receive that after you file your 2020 taxes and essentially prove to the IRS that yes, you do qualify for that rebate check based on your 2020 taxes. So there'll be some people that just that receive it later than than others because the IRS doesn't yet have your 2020 taxes right. so those, um, on file. So those people, yeah, they're a little bit of an incentive to, to file earlier uh, than later. Uh, sure. Obviously, they yep. have to wait until they get certain documents, but uh, a little bit of incentive there. Yeah, but like I said, there are going to be some people who are lucky enough to where they really don't qualify for it in 2020 because their income is too high. But if they qualified for it based on their 2019 income, those are like the lucky few who are going to get it anyway, and they are not going to have to pay it back. All right, so those are the stimulus checks. So, and I guess those are going to be paid out uh, here in the coming, starting in the coming few days. So that is, that's wonderful. Um Anything else I missed on that, Kirk, based on your reading? No, I think that was good. You know, one thing, you know, this article I don't think talked about, like, um, you know, and maybe maybe your bank friend knows, you know, like, is it all checks or is it, is, do some people get direct deposit? I, I wasn't, I was unclear on that. Um, so I remember from the first uh, wave uh, the, from the CARES Act, what happened was, if the IRS had your banking information on file, like for example, if you are uh, a retiree receiving social security benefits direct deposited, or I think if you had linked up your bank account for like a, a tax refund in a prior tax year and you were received that, electro that refund via ACH, um, if they had your banking information on file from one of those two avenues, they were direct depositing the rebate uh, checks for people, and if not, it was going to the mailing address on record. Okay, my get and my um, get my guess would be it'd be the same for this for this round as well. Although I don't, I guess, I don't know that I yeah. read that. I read that per se. Yeah, my guess would be that it's the same. Yeah, and I don't know. I actually never read, they, I remember when the CARES Act came out and they were sort of anticipating, uh, you know, people's checks getting lost in the mail because they moved and the IRS didn't have their correct address on file. Um, or, you know, people had changed their bank accounts for whatever reason and, you know, and checks not getting where they were supposed to. And I actually remember reading that the IRS was sort of anticipating a lot of um, uh, phone traffic as a result of sort of screw ups in this regard, but I actually never heard about what volume they actually received in terms of how many people's checks were either lost or uh, took a while to be received because they couldn't uh, reach the, or they didn't have the correct contact or banking information. Yeah. And I, and oh my God, I'm, I'm getting messages from someone else here saying that back in the spring, actually, I do remember reading about this back in the spring when when the CARES Act first came out, the IRS was encouraging people to go online and set up your banking information so that they, so that they, you know, of course they didn't want to have to be physical mailing checks, you know, that, that gets costly. Uh, of course, it's easier for them to do a direct deposit. So I, I'm assuming that there were 
a lot of Americans that, you know, wanted that money as quickly as possible and um, and went online and set up their banking information. So that was just what, you know, six, eight months ago, nine months ago. And um, so theoretically, the IRS now probably has some pretty updated banking information for a lot of Americans. So right. it should be a little bit smoother this time around. Thank you for that information. You know who you are. Um, this is really a group effort this morning, which is wonderful. This is this is uh, this is great. Yesterday, I we just had such a lazy day yesterday. It was great, and it was like what seven or eight o'clock at night, and I was like, oh no, I need to I need to go online and do some more reading about this Appropriations Act. So um, I appreciate everyone chipping in and helping out and allowing me to be a little bit lazier yesterday than I normally am. I deserve that once in a while, right? Everybody does. <laughs> Okay, so I wanted to cover unemployment benefits. Uh, unemployment benefits were enhanced a bit more as part of the second stimulus, uh, the Appropriations Act. Here, let me just get to my section here. Unemployment. Okay, so uh, the Appropriations Act extended unemployment, uh, increased the state unemployment benefit by 300 bucks per week. If you remember the CARES Act, enhanced unemployment benefits and added a $600 per week bump. That was a temporary bump though. I can't remember how many, it was 11 or 12 weeks, I think that they bumped unemployment from the state maximum. They added 600 bucks to the state maximum as part of the CARES Act. The Appropriations Act, the second stimulus, adds 300 bucks per week to uh, whatever your state calculates for your unemployment benefit and extends it another 11 weeks to to do, I guess that's mid-March. I'm reading that that's mid-March. Yeah. So it looks like in Massachusetts, I think, I don't know if this was the 2020 number or 2019, but um, maximum unemployment benefit in Massachusetts is a, it, it was either this year or last year was 855 bucks per week. So the, uh, this stimulus adds 300 bucks to that, making the maximum benefit, of course, not everyone will be do that, but making the maximum unemployment benefit in Massachusetts, 1155 bucks per week. Um, and that is for 11 weeks and that goes to mid-March. The other thing is, oh, that's right. As part of the CARES Act, the first stimulus, um, I believe that was when, when it was first introduced what they called pandemic unemployment assistance. And this was, essentially unemployment for people that normally wouldn't qualify for unemployment, like self-employed people, for example, right. self-employed prior to the CARES Act, self someone who's self-employed couldn't qualify for unemployment. But as a result of the CARES Act, um, a pandemic unemployment assistance was created for those people so that they could receive unemployment benefits. Um, so that was also extended and it continues to be available at least for the next uh, I think it's at least to the beginning of April um, that pandemic unemployment insurance is extended. So for those self-employed people, right? It says um, struggling yeah, through uh, through as late as April fifth. Uh, April fifth. Okay. Yeah. And, and also, I did see about the um, you know the original CARES Act uh, when people were receiving that extra six hundred dollars. That was uh, for four months. Um, oh, was it? Okay. Was how long? So that that was quite a bit longer. So it was more money yep. for a longer period of time. So this one is you know, less money for, for not as long, but it's, you know, it's still something. And hopefully as we get to the spring, when some of these things start to phase out and hopefully 
Um, you know, more pe- more and more people are vaccinated. You know, I, I'm sure the federal government is hoping, as is everyone else, that businesses can be starting to, you know, reopen as normal, especially as we get through the winter here and certain parts of the country where we live, for example, where it'll, you know, certainly be tough for some businesses over the winter, restaurants, for example, who can't provide outdoor seating right now this time of year and stuff like that. So I'm, I'm assuming the federal government is sort of hoping that by, by the time we get to the spring for a variety of reasons, hopefully many businesses can start to begin to function as they once did in some sort of a normal capacity. So, and I know every, probably not an American in or, or a person in the world who is not hoping for that, right? So, Okay, so that is unemployment. That has been, um, that was part of the Appropriations Act, a little bit of an enhancement there to unemployment insurance. What do we have, eight or nine minutes, Kirk, before yeah, we need to so take the, a break? Yeah, the last thing I saw on that on that point about the uh, unemployment is, I guess, typically uh, when somebody files for unemployment, they have to wait, I guess, at least a week uh, in order to start receiving benefits. But under this plan, uh, they that's being waived. Um, and so benefits are you know, supposed to start, you know, basically immediately, um, okay. which is, which was something that was part of the original CARES Act and, and it's been, you know, re, you know, reinstated as part of this new, new funding option. Okay. Awesome. All right. I want to talk about the PPP, the second round of, uh, PPP after the break. How about just, there was a couple like little things in here for employers to note. Uh, one of them is, Again, as part, and I think we can kind of go through this one relatively quickly, so we'll start this before the break. The CARES Act um, introduced an ability for employers to pay for their employees. Uh, Employers have always been able to pay for employee education in a tax-efficient manner, but the CARES Act introduced an ability for employers to help employees with student debt in a tax-efficient manner, and that was a temporary enhancement. I think that was actually, I think it initially was only for tax year 2020, right? right? Mm -hmm. So the Appropriations Act extends that, and it looks like it extends it for five more years. So through tax year 2025, employers will continue to be able to either directly pay an institution um, on behalf of their employee in order to help them with student debt and do that and, and take a deduct, the employer can take a deduction for that. Or they can add funds to an employee's paycheck and afford the benefit of uh, assistance with, with student loan debt and the and employee can turn around and use those funds to pay student loan debt. And what's great about this is that the employer takes the deduction for that doesn't have to pay uh, payroll taxes, so FICA taxes. The employee doesn't pay taxes on those dollars in their paycheck. They don't pay federal, state, or FICA taxes on those dollars, so they receive it tax-free. The employer takes the deduction, and it's like a win-win all around. So, so that ability for employers to do that for their employees to help them with uh, stu- so student loan assistance there in a very tax-efficient manner 
that was introduced again by the CARES Act for just this one year, but they are the Appropriations Act is extending that for five more years. Couple little caveats there, however, if you're a self-employed person, sorry, no go. Um, or if you own more than, I think it's 5% or more of the business, no go. So if you're a business owner, you cannot um, add these funds to your own paycheck and receive them tax-free to pay down student debt. This is really for employers to do this for their non-family member uh, employees. Yeah, but hey, uh, but hey, if you're an employee of a you know of a you know medium to bigger size company, it's worth asking uh, worth asking somebody about. Yeah, and I was you know some of the. Um, when I was reading about this, you know, they were sort of bringing up the point that like, you know, if you're an employer, like if you're, for example, a tech company and you're hiring young people right out of college and, um, and, and, you know, this is a great employee, this is a great thing to add to your employee benefits package. If, if, if you normally hire people, you know, younger people right out of college that would likely have some student loan debt, this is a great tool to, in order to attract those, that talent and, you know, enhance your employee benefit package in addition to, you know, the normal things, you know, health insurance and, you know, 401k match and profit sharing and stuff like that. This is just a, an additional thing that employers can use to sort of think outside the box and, and, and attract the talent that they're looking for. So, and it's, you know, for an employer throwing some extra money in your employee's paycheck in this form and, and having your employee use it to pay down debt is more tax efficient for the employer than giving them a bonus, for example, right. because there's no payroll to, you know, many people don't know, but employers pay the other half of the, the social security and Medicare taxes. You know, employees have 7.1, I forget, 7.45. Oh my gosh, I forget what FICA taxes are. Is it 7.45%? Yeah, of I, your, I think it's like 6.2 and 1.45. I'm sorry. So 7.65% of your earned income is paid by the employee in, in the, in, uh, for FICA taxes, which is social security and Medicare, but your employer pays the other 7.65%. I, many people don't know that. Right. Um, but your employer has payroll taxes, on for your benefit as well. So uh, the point is for employers to add, you know, it's more expensive for your employer to give you a bonus because you're paying, the employer's paying FICA taxes on that, at least at, le at least Medicare, so higher wage earners uh, get a little break on social security taxes over a certain amount, 145,000 or something like that. But, you know, adding dollars into your employee's paycheck for them to pay down student debt is uh, less expensive and it's more attractive for your employer as well. And again, if a lot of younger people, you know, we all have heard statistics about how much student debt people have on average and it's a lot and, and there's a lot, there's a high percentage of Americans that have student debt. So a lot of these employees are working to pay down their student debt anyway and using their wages to do this anyway. So if everyone can do it in a more tax efficient way, if you can receive a few thousand bucks or whatever in your paycheck from your employer, and, and you receive that tax free and then can turn around and pay down some student debt, that, that works for you and it also works great for your employer. So I'm hoping that this is taken advantage of, again, especially for companies that 
that have like a younger workforce, those people that would normally have um, a higher amount of student loan debt. So I think that that's very cool. I, I, you know, the federal government, certainly many legislators have recognized the, uh, the problem that we have in this country of um, uh, of high amounts of student loan debt and and the the soaring cost of education that we've had in the last decade or two or three, I guess. And um, yeah, and so this is you know they there's certainly been a lot of legislate proposed legislation trying to tackle these things, and this is a small uh, little bone that they're throwing, but I think that it's great. Um, and actually, I didn't. Oh, I'm sorry. I was going to say I didn't see a cap on that, but there is there the the cap on that is. Uh, 5250 bucks uh, per, year. per year per employee. Yeah, must be. Yeah, per year per employee. Um, and that's extended through 2025. So uh, student loan assistance um, tax efficiently from your employer. So that's great. Um, okay, so we are talking about the Appropriations Act of 2021, which technically was passed in 2020. Uh, but we're going through this federal stimulus package number two. We have to take a quick break. You're listening to McNamara on Money. I'm Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and we will be right back. 